Senator Carroll, just fine. Thank you. Welcome to our city. Since the assassination, six of these people have died in some kind of an accident. There is no evidence of a conspiracy. These people were killed. And whoever killed them is going to try to kill me. Austin thinks that maybe we all saw something up there. We're in the business of reporting the news, not creating it. You've been asking questions about me and things you know nothing about. What I know is I need a good alias and I need a good idea. Who are you? You know, there for a moment, I thought you were a man. in danger just being here. And whoever's behind this is in the business of recruiting assassins. I think I got some of their entrance exams. Congratulations, Richard. You've had some very interesting scores on the first series of tests for Parallax. You know, your tests suggest that you have remarkable talents. In a risk situation, I believe you'll go right down the line. Because you see, the very quality that gets you in trouble is what makes you potentially invaluable. We're prepared to offer you the most lucrative and rewarding work of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to All the President's Minutes. This is not another episode uh, discussing Alan Pakula's 1976 masterpiece, All the President's Man. In fact, it's a special bonus episode of the show, a second part of our special limited series, The Parallax Views. Uh, Imprint Films, uh, which is Australia's primo uh, brand new Blu-ray boutique label is bringing out a, a stack of incredible releases and I've been completely honoured and overwhelmed with the responsibility of doing a commentary track for The Parallax View which is the centrepiece of Alan Pakula's Paranoia Trilogy and thanks so much to a couple of people who like what we do uh, the expectation was like well Blake if you've done a commentary track surely that means that there's an, uh, a forthcoming Parallax View podcast of some description and to be brutally honest there wasn't uh, at that time um, during my preparation for that uh, piece and making sure that I was really well researched one of the you know tenets of my research was an incredible talk uh, hosted by the Denver Library um, which was with one of my guests today, the other two people who were on that Denver Library talk about the Parallax View were Karen Kusama and Phil Hay. Um, but my guest today is the man who hosts a raft of these incredible Denver Library sessions. You can go and find them all over the place. Um, a whole stack of movies, a whole bunch of incredible creators, writers, etc., filmmakers, all of those kind of people. Uh, he is easily in the top three living film critics. He is easily one of the most staggeringly intimidating uh, writers to read because whenever you know that he's already reviewed a movie, you want to stay so far away from it because you're just going to be overwhelmed by what he can bring to it. Uh, and a man whose actual content I've recently taught in a class to students. That's how good he is. He's great, profane, 
and profound peace as part of David Fincher's War series uh, uh, on 48 Hours is truly uh, uh, just truly one of the best pieces of film criticism that's ever been turned into a video essay. That is my guest. Uh, I would not be doing this without him. And I basically, he has a standing invitation to basically anything I do. He is my friend, Walter Chaw. Walter, thank you so much for chatting to me about this movie. Like whenever you pick up the phone, I answer. Um, <laughs> so anytime you call, I'm ready to come on. <laughs> Oh God, uh, it's yeah. so, so, such a pleasure. Look, I I don't want to run you back too much over familiar territory, but I'm so I was so impressed and such a, a voracious consumer, um, uh, such a voracious consumer of your uh, parallax view uh, discussion, conversation, unpacking uh, with Karen Kusama and Phil Hay that I thought, oh, I'd I'd love to get a chance to talk to you about it. It is truly one of my favorite films, and really. You couldn't have the 1970s without Alan Pakula's Paranoia Trilogy. They're right in the midst of that great new Hollywood era. Um, can you tell me what this movie means to you? Well, I, I saw it as a freshman in college. It was part of this course that I was taking called Ways of Seeing. It was one of the more important courses that I've ever taken in any topic. Um, and, you know, part of the curricula for it was this film. It was The Conversation, mm -hmm. uh, The Stuntman, um, you know, movies that... I'd not seen before and, and you know and, and and going into it i thought of myself as kind of a cinephile i loved hitchcock already uh, i i raised myself it felt like on film you know to a large extent i think i learned how to speak english because i watched i watched american films you know and and um so it was kind of a shocker to, to all of a sudden be confronted with all of these titles that i'd never heard before and this is you know the you know, VCRs had been a thing for about 10 years at that point. I, I'm very elderly, but you know, it was still a relatively new technology. <laughs> so, you know, there was a lot of stuff that we were so soaring through and, you know, I was obsessed with like the science fiction and the sci-fi and stuff. So, you know, the seventies were really unpacked for me um, in, in college. And so that was the first time I saw it and um, I couldn't believe it. Uh, it, it. It's, it's so bleak. It's so pessimistic about us. Mm. Um, the, the more that I, I learned from that course, you know, movies like kind of the conversation and stuff, the more I learned about the seventies and this idea of the hero in the seventies, the American hero had been subverted from our, 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 our American history of the lone hero, the cowboy Shane <laughs> or John Wayne riding in a town and fixing stuff um, had been overturned. And, you know, it got me into uh, a larger conversation with film as a, 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 a sociological exercise you know, what were the films of the 50s saying about us when we're talking about giant ants and people turning into pods overnight? Well, it's clear, you know, in the 60s, what are we talking about with the counterculture? In the 70s, what are we talking about with all of these paranoid films and where, you know, our biggest heroes from the 70s are played by not like John Wayne um, or Humphrey Bogart or Clark Gable. They're played by guys like Dustin Hoffman. And, uh, you know, and when you get somebody that's really beautiful, like Warren Beatty, he's kind of you know making either making fun of that in a movie like shampoo or he's like you know defacing himself in some way or he, he's he plays a scumbag or he plays like kind yeah. of a, a, lo a loser like joe frady and parallax view who you know whether or not he's like super successful he's only uh as successful as he is i guess i would say he's not like world famous he's not whatever he's a bad boyfriend he's a bad listener he's a you know the the scene with paula prentice breaks my heart every time i see it when she she shows up and tries to get him to believe her and then the very next scene the smash cut to uh oh. her being zipped up in a body bag it's uh it's 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 brutal and um heartbreaking especially if you know you know her uh recent history at the time of the shooting of the movie she had just had a nervous breakdown um 
and spent some time away in a hospital, I think. And, and, and so, you know, she's playing something that's, that's very close to her. And, I, and there's a real, she, she's not thought of as an actress, but I think she, she gives a, a beautiful performance here. And she kind of parallels for me, um, the, the 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 feeling of the, the movies of the 70s and the feeling that there's something happening and no one's listening to me and um and you know we see it so much now i think when you know we're all jaded but i think in the 70s there's still a bit of a loss of innocence that was possible uh for us and 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 learning about how corrupt the government was how debased um, our leadership is uh corporations are indicted by the parallax view, you know, the sort of murder incorporated on a grand scale. Um, I, I think there's still room for us to lose some innocence in the seventies, the movies of the seventies of this process of losing, losing innocence um, in the United States and around the world to, to, to some extent. And, uh, but, but now when we get movies like this, like parallax view um, there, it's almost impossible. It feels like to satirize our current state anymore. You know, you can't make anything. You know, yeah, how, anything how, funnier than reality at this point. No, no. How can you make anything more brutal? You know, and when you look back on on, on the great films of the sixties and seventies, like the Man- Manchurian Candidate, for instance, you know the uh, Frankenheimer version. When that first came out, people were were saying, you know, this is science fiction. This is way overboard. This is too much. This is too much. And now it's just sort of like cozy and. You, you know, or or the 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 dead zone in the eighties, where the maniacal leader, you know, the horrible authoritarian fascist, um, holds up a child to 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 stave off an assassination attempt, and that ends his candidacy. But we know that if that happened today, that <laughs> it, it, if one of these fascist leaders held up a child in front of him when, when assassin took him, he'd be praised by his followers. There's nothing that they could do to be loathsome to their followers, and so all of these like movies these cautionary movies the the parallax views and the clutes and 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 all the stuff now seem naive almost because yes. we've fallen so so far off the table but you know for for, for me parallax view is still uh you know the beginning of that i don't want to use to crass the term it's rather deflowering for me where you 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 grew up in the united states really indoctrinated into this sense of patriotism and the feeling that America is the greatest place in the world and the greatest nation on earth. And, you know, our, our ideals and our constitution and all these things are ironclad. And then, uh, you know, at a certain point, I think all of us began to be uh, disabused of that notion, you know, <laughs> um, and, 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 and we, we go in one of two directions, you know, we either become these ferocious liberals, you know, of which I think I'm one. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible atheist liberal guy, you know, anti-fascist, and, uh, and 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 or you go the other way, where, where your fear, your fear instead of driving you to outrage, drives you to denial, and you cling more, you know, strongly to, to these images of, of of the flag and images of 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 of, of patriotism. And you know, Parallax View I think predicts that and plays with that a little bit as well with the landmarks that it uses the Space Needle, but also the giant American flags and the you know the 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 idea especially the the parallax test, which is extraordinary. But uh-huh. you know, these images of hearth and home being perverted. I you know, and, and, yeah. I was just yeah. gonna say I'm so glad you brought up that scene because when Phil and Karen came on the show for the first part of this episode I said I didn't want. I don't want to ask you your favorite scenes. I want to guess. I want to see if I can guess what your favorite scenes are. And for Karen, I said the most Karen Kusama style scene in the film for me is that exact exchange, the Paul Apprentice and and um, uh, 
uh, and uh, Warren Beatty scene in the apartment because it's showing this like true raw emotional turmoil and it's showing her like being so truthful and him being so dismissive and they couldn't be further away from each other's wavelengths. And it takes so much of that conversation uh, for them to even get close to one another. And then we don't even get to see them reconcile. We see silhouette, we see closeness, we see comfort and then bang, as you said, smash cut to death. And she's just like, you know, Karen was like, I'm so glad you said that scene because it is my favorite. And she's like, everything about it, the formalism, the acting, the intent, the tension, uh, and, and the way that it's scripted. And then I guessed, uh, I guessed Phil's favorite. I said, uh, really, I was like, look, I think your favorite scene because, uh, of musicality of script is the, when, uh, Frady goes to visit the, uh, psychologist with the parallax test and then then he's a gets visited by Jack Younger, who's like, you did really well on our test. And he goes, you know what? I wasn't going to, that's, I wouldn't have said that, but I would have said any scene that has Jack Younger in it is my favorite. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yeah, look, I, I, I think I, I think I had you both pegged, but when I was thinking about you and what your favorite scene would be in this film, it was so much harder. Um, because as I was thinking about it, uh, I was thinking like, I know you, has such an affinity for really great orchestrations of tension because of your Hitchcock background. So I know you would love the plane scene, but I also know that you're a deeply empathetic person. And I truly feel that that Paul apprentice scene is like a, that's like a hall of fame performance. And so I know that your empathy, I, I feel like I could never toss up between what I know about your sort of, uh, your formal, like a, as a, as a, a person who really digs into formalism, uh, a, a, as opposed to a person who really jives with like really, I don't know, truthful, authentic emotion. So I couldn't find a way to bridge the gap between those two. Thinking of what your favorite scene would be, but at least now I know that you love that Paul Apprentice scene. I do, I adore it. But I think my favorite film, uh, uh, my favorite piece, chunk of the movie is the Parallax Test. Corporations Division of Human Engineering. You will now please cross to the chair. And you will sit down. Make yourself comfortable. And be sure to place each one of your hands on the box on either side of the chair. Making sure that each one of your fingers is on one of the white rectangles. Just sit back, nothing is required of you, except to observe the visual materials that are presented to you. Be sure to keep your fingers on the box at all times. All right, we hope you find the test a pleasant experience. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Just the is it Michael Small who, who does the score for this? The score yes. of it, the images, you know, the 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 thesis that I wrote for that course that I told you about was a uh, image by image breakdown of the parallax test, which was much harder to do before the internet. Um, you know, so I spent <laughs> incredibly uh, hard. You yeah, would have you would have broken a VHS pausing oh to get gosh. every image. <laughs> I, I did. I, I spent forty hours in uh, the library. I remember doing it, looking through. National Geographic, looking through old life magazines, looking through all these things to try to find those images. And it was like, mm. um, and I did, you know, I was able to, uh, I was able to locate the uh, sources for most of those. And, uh, and I think, you know, the, I, 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 I was stunned by it because I was still really naive at that point too, by experimental film. I had not been exposed to Sam Brackage or, 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 or those guys. And so, or, or even Andy Warhol. And so seeing like a collage that was sort of integrated, like a, a little experimental film integrated into a larger narrative piece was mind blowing to me. Yeah. Mind blowing. You know, the closest that I had seen before that was 2001, where the, you know, the light tunnel sequence is sort of like a, uh, a film within a film. Yes. I mean, you know, all of a sudden in the middle of a movie, you have another movie for a while. And that's literally the case for Parallax View. And uh, yeah, I, I would say that's probably my favorite, just because you know I, I I love the mystery of this film, the idea that there's a mystery that's solved but nothing is solved, and and that's the case of so many movies, great movies from the '70s, like Night Moves, you know, a movie that came out oh. the year after this, uh, you know, uh, 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 it was so good, right? And they the the detective uh, Gene Hackman solves everything, but he knows nothing, and that's sort of the yes. '70s. Is like you know, the higher you climb. Literally, the parallax view, the less you know, the more of a perspective that you have, whether it's from the top of the Space Needle or it's from the rafters and the, the, at, the, at, at, the, at the convention, you, you know less when you're, you've discovered what the truth is. Um, and, and that's, you know, I, I've seen this film described as nihilistic. I'm not sure it's entirely nihilistic. I think there's still a little bit of hope left, left in it. But for me, it leaves me feeling so desolate you know because i think the older that i get the more i realize how little i know the, the more that i learn about things the less i understand anything the world was much simpler to me 20 years ago 
Yes. You know, I, everything made a lot more sense when I was in my 20s than they do in my 40s. You know, my 20s, I knew who was right in World War II. In my 20s, I knew who was, you know, and there's certain things that are, you know, absolutes, obviously. But, but you know, when we firebomb Japan for, for a month before we dropped the bomb on them, I don't know anymore that that's an ethical thing that we did. And, and you know, you say <laughs> yeah. warfare, you know, it becomes very difficult and gray for me to begin to untangle on my feelings about these things. Um, as I get older, and Parallax View seems to be prescient about that. It says, says that, you, you know, and, and most of them in the 70s too, the, the great films, they, they, they say that the more that you know, and the more that you unpack about the machinery that drives the world, the less that it makes sense, and the less that it, you can kind of gain any kind of comfort from that knowledge. You know, it's a, it's a line from Oedipus where Tiresias, the blind seer, he says, uh, how terrible is wisdom when it brings no profit to the wise. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and I think that's so... You know, that's the 70s, you know, that we learned that our president's corrupt. We learned that our military is corrupt. We learned that we were, you know, 10 minutes away from nuclear violation. We, we learned that this, we learned all this stuff. What good has it done us? You know, and now we're yeah. in the 24-hour news cycle where we know everything all the time. And I'm at a place now where it's like, until you're just showing me accountability, I would rather just not even know. Yeah. Yes. Just what's the point of me knowing more about what I already know? You know, you know this, the, this person was texting this person on January 6th. This person was, I know. I know, you know, when, when you're putting them, when you're, when you're perp walking them and putting them on irons, that's what I want to know again. That, but at this point, I, I wisdom just hurts. Feel, I, I almost feel the same about everything that's around, you know, the p- pandemic response, especially in our country mm-hmm. and things like that. It's like, you hear about these things and it's like, look, I don't, I, I almost want to buy a subscription to a newspaper so you can send it to my house. And if they're on the, if they're on the front page and someone is help, being held accountable for a, a horrendous wrongdoing. Then I can see it on the front page and I can dig in. And if it's not there and it's just trash, I'm going to flick that page. I'm going to go to the next thing to find out if there's any pertinent news. And then I'm going to shut it. I'm going to throw it in the recycle bin and it's gone. Like that's my news. I don't, I, I try, I'm so, you know, we're both engaged on Twitter um, in, in, in a variety of ways, but um, that's those things. I want to just say two things before we continue. First is I love that you brought up Night Moves. Um, I'm a big fan of a movie called twilight that's coming out soon and a little tidbit about uh that is that um the director of twilight uh goes into great detail to say that his two favorite uh detectives that inspired him one was harry mosby from uh nightmares gene hackman's character in 1975 and his character who paul newman plays harry ross is named after ross mcdonald who wrote the original harper novels and Harry Mosby. So it's Harry Ross. Like it's not just a implicit connection anymore. I think it's like, it, it's the text itself. Um, but I also think, like you said, with the, with the absolute truths that we know, it's been really refreshing in some teaching that I've been doing with some students, like recapping on big historical events and talking to kids who don't necessarily have the context. I'm the conduit to this context. And I, I literally had a student ask at, at one point, um, you know, why did, why did, they bombed Japan like that. Why did they drop two nuclear bombs? And what I realized in formulating an answer was, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't, I don't know why that was there. Ta- there's was, certainly wasn't necessarily tactical at that moment. And probably the uncomfortable thing is they had two types and they wanted to test them both. And that's, it's the ugly truth of it is kind of that. And you kind of settle on the fact that, well, it's hypothesized that they basically had two and it was, they were going to bomb them regardless of whether they they surrendered with one after one. They were bombing them twice, and that that's what it was. Yeah, and there, there's a compelling theory about the end of the war too that it wasn't really the bombing that was upsetting the Japanese. It was Stalin 
uh, finally taking a side. And, and, and so, you know, there, you know, thus calling into question the necessity for using the technology in the first place. And so, yes. you know, there, there, there's a thing in the new Eternals movie, which, which I thought was um, pretty abominable, but there, there, <laughs> there, there's this theory that they put forth in it, that the reason that these eternal beings, those all powerful beings that are overseeing the earth allowed things like Hiroshima to happen and stuff is because it, it's during warfare that, that, that humans um, evolve their technology most quickly, especially medical technology. Yes. And so therefore it was in their best interest because they wanted population to explode on the planet to allow wars to happen. Now, you know, that's one of many things that are extraordinarily stupid and, and problematic <laughs> about the film, but it, you know, it is true that world war II was the pro was sort of an experimental ground for medicine and for technology in the worst possible ways and the reasons that we have you know let a lot of germans off the hook and the reasons that japan was you know it, it, anyway it's like the more that i know the more that i read <laughs> the, the more sorry i am that i know and you know the more sorry that i am that i have context that i have different points of view that i have different arguments for this or that and it used to be so simple it used to oh, be so simple. Dude, you know, yeah. we had to do it so that we could save lives and American lives. It was like, that makes total sense to me. And the more we go along, the more we go along, it's like, yeah, you know, we leveled a lot, a lot, a lot of Japanese cities with firebombing. And so the, their architecture is paper-based. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a war crime, flat out, straight yeah. up. Yeah. And um, I can't get over that. And it's really difficult for me to, to, to you know, <laughs> to, to sit here and say, I, 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 I wish I could go back. I wish I could um, be as clear about things. But then if I were as clear about things, if I was so um, dogged and, and jealous of, of my ignorance, then I would be on the other side. Yes. You know? And now <laughs> I'm not getting a vaccination now. You know, you know, Trump is my, my golden calf. And so, you know, there's an issue. And what the Parallax View does really kind of brilliantly is it frustrates our desire for justice. It yes. frustrates these things that we're talking about when we say, I'm just going to turn the page. I'm going to scroll up. I'm going to like not read this. I'm going to do whatever. Parallax Views is that sort of frustration of justice as well. It says like, we know who, you know, we never really knew who the bad guys are. Who runs the Parallax Corporation? Who, no you know, no, I, it's like a, it's like one of those you know message board li lines on in, in a high rise. You know, Parallax View Corporation, second floor, I think, or something. You know, it's like yeah. there's nobody there. It's an empty room. It's the voice of God. It's it, it's it, it's a low level functionary that visits your apartment and lies there in the bed when you come home. Like that. That's <laughs> you know, and, and and what I love about the Parallax View too is that I don't know if he passes the test or if he fails it. Yes. I, I have no idea what the test is testing. You know, you get glimpses of like the the uh, uh, a test that the sociopath took. You know, the, on paper because he's looking through the sheriff's drawers and you see it. If you freeze it, you can read some of the questions. You can do. You know, have you ever been humiliated? Do do do, do you laugh at the wrong times? You know, stuff like that. You know, that's fascinating stuff. And it could speak to sociopathy. It could also speak to autism. What is it that you're actually testing for? Walter, is it an it, empathy it, test? It can test. I've literally seen questions like that in a corporate culture yes. suitability test. And I'm like, hold on. Did I take the fucking parallax test? Because we're beyond satire at this point. <laughs> yes. You know, we're beyond <laughs> the ability to make a, a scary science fiction scenario about the downfall of a country because we're living in fallen countries. <laughs> yes. We're in the midst of fallen countries. That that that's what's happening. When we, we can go out on the street, we can step over a corpse. We're in the middle of a fallen country. 
Yeah. You know, this is like Argentina in the eighties. This is like, <laughs> you, you know, Libya. This is like all of these places that we use as touchstones for places that are dangerous. We live there, you know, <laughs> now uh, you in Australia, me in the United States. It's like, we're, we're actually there. We, we have a large contingent of white supremacists and, and our, our notions of what's real and what's not have been perverted beyond repair. And that's also the parallax of you. And I, you know, th- these movies are so current. If only we had listened, you know, these are all, these are all Cassandra's. Oh. Um, uh, it, 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 like the, the, these were warnings back when there was still time to do something about it. Um, but there's not. And I think it all goes back for us here in the States where, you know, at the end, end of the sixties, all of our progressive leaders were murdered. You yes. know, the, the, you know, one by one, the Fred Thompson's and the, and the Medgar Evers and Martin Luther King, Martin, yep. Yep, um, Mount Malcolm X, Bobby Kennedy. Progressives were murdered one by one, and you see progressives only just now peeking their heads back out again in the current state. But, you know, the old guard Democrats, they're centrist, they're not progressives, because they all got assassinated. And it was made very clear that if you had progressive ideas in the United States, you, you're you going to get murdered. The, the moment that Fred Thompson painted a big bullseye on his chest when he's when, when we, when we was talking about a general strike, that's something the United States will not, will not allow. And so, yes. you know, you get a, you get a, you, you, you get a brilliant generational leader like Fred and he says something about a general worker strike. Yeah. The FBI is going to have to take you out. And so <laughs> yeah. there's the, you know, we, because you're far, he's far too compelling. He's far too compelling. Yep. And he's far, he's, he's, he's too dangerous. You know, there's a great line in um, Michael Mann's Ali that's given to Jamie Foxx's um, Bundini Brown. And he says, the truth mm-hmm. tastes good when you've had a belly full of lies. And it feels like that line could have been, yeah. Every one of those guys, it ta- like it's, yeah. it, it it hits. You know, people say you know in the parlance of our the kids today, it's like it hits different. It hits different yeah. when people are speaking the truth, and it's so profoundly incisive. And you're like, oh my god! And I think you just said something that I think maybe like is the Rosetta Stone for how I unlock a lot of these films from New Hollywood. It's like, why didn't we listen? It's all here. It's all mm-hmm. here in, in so many, ex- whether it's expressed in the conversation, whether it's expressed in the parallax view, whether it's expressed as overtly as it gets in network, like it's there. Like they know where, it, where, where it's going. These artists as profits know where it's going and, and it's just completely flagrantly ignored. <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's expressed in the Godfather, you know, I mean, it, mm. it, it, it opens Who's with being naive now, okay. <laughs> Who's being uh, well, right? Now, exactly, okay. exactly. <laughs> but it, but it opens with a line like, "I believe in America." Uh, you know, I believe in these things. But what 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 is he there for? He's there looking for justice because the American system does not provide it for him. Yes. And so you know, you see the roots of organized crime. You see the roots of all of this discontent. And the most interesting thing that we could ever do is, you know, lift the veil and say. You know what? The real villains here are the people that are running the Parallax Corporation. It isn't, you know, the 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 lesbian taco stand. It isn't the black guy down the street. It's not the Chinese guy on a podcast. That if we could all just figure out that we're on the same side, we're we're all united in poverty and struggle, you know, and we're all filling the pockets of like ten people. That's the danger for them, you know. Yeah. If we could ever lift the veil, and the seventies seem to be largely about this but they're, they're also these um like like in the conversation and parallax view and night moves you know those movies that we're talking about that that there's the individual cannot win no. in these scenarios they can they, they can learn the truth but it's like 
you know, Icarus, right? You know, you can learn the truth, not the Eternals, but the actual Icarus, where you fly <laughs> too close to the sun, um, and 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 you see the face of God, or if you want to be Old Testament and everything, it, it may, makes you insane or makes you dead. And 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 there's no like, you know, it's like it's like an H.P. Lovecraftian thing. Capitalism. It's like you see the face of the elder gods, and it actually makes you nuts um, because you, you know that you can't fight them. You know that you can't win, and. You know, that's what I think the Parallax View's ultimate message is, is like, you know, there, if there's hope here, it's that we can all talk to each other, you know, yes. uh, and, and, uh, and we can all listen. But I think as, as external evidence has shown, uh, we don't do that very well. You know, the, the other thing that really breaks my heart consistently, no matter how many times I watch Parallax View, is the death of the editor, uh, yes. Hugh Cronin, um, and, and him eating the sandwich. And then the very next scene, another sort of brutal cut uh, of him sort of you know, sitting up with his mouth open dead. And that's like, that's the death of hope here. That's the death of, of communication. You know, you kill the Cassandra, you know, the Paul Apprentice character, but then you kill the media yes. and then you kill, you know, and so, so it's <laughs> like our, our faith in our institutions is, is gone. And the people who would speak truth to power are, are, are gone. What's left. And that's the challenge that these movies provide for us. I think. Oh no, I think you said spot on. It's, it's, it's that whole piece of you've got, and even like William Daniels, he's isolated and Paul Apprentice mm. is isolated. And Hume Cronin is really Joe Frady's like main connection in the entire movie. And then he's ultimately isolated because Joe's off being this sort of, uh, you know, staunch individualist, uh, you know, playing like, you know, this gentleman spy almost. And then in one moment he's like Smokey and the bandit. And then another moment he's like the, the, the globe trotting journalist who's going to uncover, you know, the intrepid journalist who's uncovering this thing. And it's like all of these professions that in some way or another, these pieces satirize, uh, as in segments of the film, every single time he does that, it's just over and again, he's showing us like the individual doesn't win. Like all of our all of our generic conventions that say that these individuals have have got a pathway to beat the big bad it's just a lie and it's like you can totally see why the the escapist fair concurrently going along whether it's through the late 50s and early 60s and all those sorts of things with like James Bond it's like we want to believe that there is these individual heroes who can take you can take these gigantic interplanetary intergalactic if you get to Luke Skywalker forces down um but the harsh truth is that most of them end up like uh, our old friend Captain Willard and we we kill the beast to become it you know like that's that's ultimately the the tragedy of the thing and and Phil brought up this great question of Joe Frady's character too it's like and you 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 riffed on it in a slightly different thing but I think it's another great question is we don't know if like Frady's Frady is suitable for parallax because he actually is or because he's pretending to be. And that question also haunts me a little bit too. It's like, are we just playing into their hands? It's another theme that is, is part of this um, beautiful film. And yeah, you know, for, for, for a long time, I was in corporate America, you know, for 30 years and I've done, hundreds maybe even thousands of interviews and you know whenever i was training new managers or training new people to do these interviews they would ask me they're like how do you know when they're lying and i was like well they're all lying it's just a matter of whether they're cutting enough to lie well <laughs> and and and, and, and that, that's what i'm thinking about when you're talking about the test is like you don't actually know what they're looking for when you're doing the test just like people you don't really know what you're looking for when you know you're sitting down to to, to be interviewed for a job 
Except that, you know, I think for me, when I was interviewing, there was the expectation for me that people were lying about their credentials or lying about what they would do in certain scenarios when you're doing these sort of situational interviews that have become popular in the last 10 years or so. And, and, and it's like, you know that they're lying, but do they, are they cunning enough to, to lie? Are they cunning enough to lie well? Um, are they cunning enough to know what it is that you want to hear? Because that, that could be um, the, the sign that they're the right person for you. Uh, and, and, and that's like, you know, so you're, you're, you're playing this parallax game with them. Right. And, you know, the whole concept of parallax where you, you, it, everything is, there is one objective truth, but that's, but there's like 10,000 different points of view from which you can look at it, uh, and, and, which make it very confusing. And so how do you take, you know, how do you triangulate the truth from 10 different points of view? Uh, that's sort of the challenge that the that, that, that film presents and, you know, that being a grown up presents to you uh, as you navigate the world too. It's like, how do you, how do you know what's right? How do you know what's true? You know, with Omicron and Delta and what's next, you know, Zeta and Theta, (laughs) you know, um, as these new variants come up and 10 different people tell you five different things. And does it really make a difference if I, if I'm going to go eat in a restaurant, the 10 feet that I walk from the front door to the table while I'm wearing a mask and then I take the mask off. I don't really understand exactly how much of this is performative for each other. What is it that we're sending the message for and to, and what is the message that we're sending by doing it or not doing it? You know, the death eyes that I give to the guys walking to the bathroom without their masks on in a restaurant. It's like, but really, but, 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 but really what is happening here? You know, we're just (laughs) kind of all, uh, all dealing with the same sort of objective truth that there's a deadly virus, but um, there are three different points of view about what's safe and how to, how to approach it. And, you know, parallax view is identifying a national sickness, uh, an epidemic of murder. And, you know, it, it, it's, it, and, but how do we approach it? How do we begin to be a, attack it? And what points of view do we need to, you know, to draw our own conclusions about what the actual truth is. And that's so dangerous, right? If you take, you know, the QAnon and all these wackadoos and the, they're also using the same sort of strategy that we're using to yeah. discern the truth they've just come up with a with a crazy fucking truth and that and i don't even know what to do to disabuse them with that truth because they have the same kind of evidence that i would use to debunk them yeah it's the same it's the same information and uh but but their conclusions are different and so you know i feel like us that we as film critics um uh, have, have been kind of sounding this this alarm for a long time the the, the death of critical thinking and not just the death of critical thinking, but the death of tolerance of critical thinkers yes. uh, has led us to this place where, you know, man, I, I would get like these, these like death threats for being a guy who's always bringing up racism. And so I was curious once, you know, 10 years ago, and I went back through all the stuff that I'd written and all these hundreds and hundreds of, of reviews. And I think out of all of them, I, I came up with like a percentage of like 2% of them ever talk about race. Of my whole output and so my question back to the universe then at that point was like do you believe that about two percent of everything that you see is racist or do you think the number is actually greater than that you know but that any kind of discussion of race any kind of discussion of these social issues has to be shattered down and beaten down into you know silence for some reason you know that that you know and, even and usually with pizza Usually, yeah, yeah, yeah usually, literally usually, with beating, literally with beating, especially when you get into fat, you know, fascist states, it's the, it's the, it's the intellectuals and the critics who are dragged out of the street and burned in, 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 in the roadway first, because they're the ones that are, that, that are raising an alarm 
you know, early. You know, I think mm. we 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 do that when we analyze our art and we say, look at there's a, you know, it's just like when they're the only way that we can tell if there's any any Omicron at all in Florida is we analyze the wastewater. That's what we do as critics. You know, we're we're analyzing <laughs> the output uh, <laughs> of, of humans. And we're finding stuff sometimes and we're saying, look at there's 20 movies this year about vengeance. What do you think is happening? You know, there's, <laughs> there's like 30 movies about home invasion this year. What do you think is going on right now in the United yeah. States? What, what's happening right now? And, and, you know, one of my favorite movies of the year, Riders of Justice. I'm like, isn't it funny that, you know, people, um, a whole bunch of misfits who've been downtrodden by the systems that they live in, uh, you know, find up like discover a wackadoo you know scientific scheme uh to to hunt down and to enact justice and then realize just how truly empty it all is in the end and and just by happenstance they get out of it and i'm just like that that movie is so uh deeply flawed and ironic to the whole human condition that i'm like this movie means so damn much to me for that exact reason it's just it's it's the beautiful farce of our existence yeah, and, and 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 that movie, like so many movies of this year too, is about finding a family. Mm. Um, is about creating family, creating a band of, of of brothers, if you will. And you know, again, that's really great. For on the one hand, and it's also really dangerous on the other because there, there there was a time in our history, in our human history, where these crazy ideas that are very popular right now would have been shunned as the sole idea of the village lunatic. Yes. You know, but now they go on the internet and they find like ten thousand other village lunatics from ten thousand other villages, and all of a sudden they have become a tribe. They become yes. a group and and so writers of justice sort of kind of pings off of that idea as well it's like you know what would happen if all the lunatics suddenly felt like they were right because they were being supported in their ideas instead of being sort of outcast and beaten from you know those ideas sort of beaten out of them a little bit by 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 the louder voice of reason you know uh, it's like what would happen well that the internet is what happened is yes. that all of a sudden there's no idea too fringe for you not to be able to find a community that shares it um and, you know, again, that's a warning that the Parallax View offers, too. It's like when we corporatize atrocity, when we make when we normalize it and we make it a button-down nine-to-five job to assassinate Matt Gravers and Malcolm X and Bobby Kennedy, when we can just sort of, like, hire somebody to do that from, a you know, from Amazon or something, we'll, we're going <laughs> to call, call up a political assassination. You'll have it by the next business day. And so there, there's, you know, that's coming. And so there's one, one click, like, buy with one click, uh, Walter, one click see, political you assassination. Know, and, and I think that's actually already a thing. And so, you know, <laughs> not to get too tit, tinfoil hat, too late, I guess. But there's a, a, a sense of parallax view here where I feel like it's right on the edge of all of the stuff that's happened. It's mm -hmm. right on the edge of the Reagan administration. It's right on the edge of all these things. It's you know six, six years removed, but it's predicting these things. It's predicting this sort of cult of self-esteem, this cult of like feelings over knowledge, the cult of uh, of fringe over, over over mainstream. And so, you know, we've upended um, our, our reality to, gosh, you know, coddle the yes. fringe, and now the fringe is. You know, and, and we, we see it in film like with Marvel stands and stuff, you know, like we've coddled the fringe and we've sort of gotten to this point now, I think, collectively where we're like, maybe it was a good idea that those guys were on the fringe. <laughs> maybe maybe it was a bad idea to stop stuffing these guys in the lockers. And it's like there there's there's a there's a horrible, horrible knowledge um about that that you know those guys aren't better be because they were traumatized in the past. Uh, because now that you know they're Israel, they 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 have the means, and now they're traumatizing another group, and so mm -hmm. it's like, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's messed I, up. It's, but that's also, just to wrap up, that's also one of my favorite moments in this text is George Hammond's Jim Davis, that entire scene that happens in the cavernous, you know, uh, hall that, you know, Pakula made the incredible choice to basically shoot the rehearsal rather than the actual thing because the rehearsal is more revealing to the state of mind that you are to to, to have the hubris to create those sort of uh, forums in any event. But I just love those sweet kids turning those images and the associate, the free association that Jim Davis's George Hammond is doing by having his face as the punctuation on all of these incredibly progressive thinkers and these forward thinkers and these inclusive thinkers. And it's also hilarious because this is just another, it's just another technique that unironically is used all the way to the Obama administration of like, you know, like if you've ever, if you've ever seen a Barack Obama hope, you know, uh, you know, uh, two-tone picture that comes up, uh, and you've never seen the parallax view. And then you watch the parallax view. You're like, I think someone unironically used that same technique from parallax and parallax is skewering it. It's going, this is not the way to do it. It's not the thing. And it's even the damn poster of like someone being shot and like splayed out Willem Dafoe in platoon style on the front of this thing. Um, and I, I just, that's another moment that just strikes me as like, that talks about everything that we're talking about, which is like here, this, this figure who, he's not progressive. He feels like this dominant Republican figure. He's there like practicing his golf swing. I mean, very pertinent to the last president of the United States practicing his golf swing rather than rehearsing. And he is the punctuation mark after all those great and powerful figures that are displayed on those cards. And I just go, Oh man, this is a bad joke. It's a bad joke, but it's so perfectly deployed in this movie. Yeah. Well, the tagline on the poster, I'm sure, you know, is as American as apple pie. Yes, <laughs> it's a tagline of it, and, and 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 there's like you know there's a, I think you know as I was growing up you know and and, and you know a really conservative family you know conservative area Colorado and everything it's like you know these people making these movies would have been de- derided as hippies and um, you know exaggerating the state of things and all of these things and, and you know, sort of ridden hard for that that, that sort of uh, a doom seeing but I think time has shown that they're what, what the only thing that's misplaced about them is not their their nihilism and their fear but their optimism yes um and, and, you know that that's the enduring i think lingering feeling that i have about the parallax view is that it's uh it's so sad because no one lo- n- no one listened to joe and i'm not talking about anybody in the film I'm talking about us and, yes. and and that's uh that that's where that's where we're at now well look uh, thank you for making this possible. Thank you for being such a voracious fan. Thank you for your obsessions. Um, and I, one thing that like, you know, some people watch a Marvel movie and get nostalgia. I deeply get nostalgia from thinking about the countless hours I put in at the university of Newcastle library, watching 1970s movies on tiny screens on VHS. Mm. And so you mm. talking about pouring over those pictures for your thesis just brings back such fond memories of my own, you know, parallax style re-education in the ways of the world and these seventies <laughs> filmmakers who spoke to me. So, uh, truly my friend, uh, 
I love talking to you anytime. I love talking to you, especially about these movies that we find ourselves conver- conversing over. Um, and look, thank you for that beautiful piece uh, with Karen and Phil that you put out into the world because it's truly wonderful. I'm going to link it. I have already linked it in the um, in, in the Karen and Phil podcast uh, episode, uh, uh, a post that's on our website. Um, so uh, it's already there for folks to see. They'll see it on yours as well. But, um, you know, me getting to not only have this commentary track, um, which is the coolest thing ever for a movie geek from Sydney, ever, uh, let me just say, as a person who watched Parallax for the first time on that VHS tape in that University of Newcastle library, but um, to talk about it with you and shoot the shit with you and uh, and, and realise that film criticism is merely <laughs> examining the output and the waste of that society. Uh, it's just truly beautiful and uh, you're the best and I can't thank you enough. Well, hey, anytime. Blake, I can't wait to talk to you. That was the incredible Walter Chaw. You can find him at at Mangiotto, which is M-A-N-G-I-O-T-T-O. You can look for him at filmfreakcentral.net. That's where his heart is. That's where he is. Or if you have Netflix, jump on and watch Profane and Profound, his incredible contribution to David Finch's Voir series. Thank you so much, Walter, for pointing out Karen and Phil to me and making them essential partners in this. Thank you for doing this. And guys, thank you for listening. Uh, If you haven't already, pre-order and get your hands on the Parallax View from Interprint Films featuring a commentary by me. And uh, we'll catch you on another episode from One Heat Man Productions soon. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.